We're starting a new series today. We're starting a series called The Adventure of Prayer. The Adventure of Prayer. When I begin to speak on prayer, it is scary. It's scary for you and it's scary for me. I've been praying since I was just a little boy. I, I love Joel's story about uh, being with his son and, and talking to his son, and I know he prays with his children, and, and I think that's such a powerful thing. My father was, was a pastor uh, before he went home to be with the Lord, and he prayed with us on a regular basis. And when our father prayed with us, uh, it was interesting to listen to him prayer because he knew all the church words. You know, he'd been a pastor for many years, so he, he prayed all the church words. And a lot of the, ch- the church words I didn't understand. And when I began to pray, uh, my prayers were much simpler than that. You know, now I lay me down to, to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul will keep if I should die before I wake. Hmm. Maybe you want to don't, don't want to teach that one to your little children. That prayer actually started in England in the middle of the plague. Because they were literally praying that their children would live through the night, one more night. And, and those were the prayers that I learned, of, simple prayers. But for so many people, prayer is a struggle. And today we're going to talk about the essence of prayer. Uh, are you satisfied with your prayer life? Uh, there was a poll. Uh, they, they went to devout Christians, people who regularly attend church. In fact, it was people who attend church over 75% of the time. They were from evangelical Bible-believing, uh, Bible-teaching churches, and they went and they polled 678 and asked them if they were satisfied. And out of 678, 23 said they were satisfied with their prayer life. Bill Hybels wrote a book, Too Busy Not to Pray, Slowing Down to Be with God. And, and it's one of the books that I have read on prayer. I've probably read three dozen, literally three dozen books on prayer. Uh, but the first sentence in the first chapter is, prayer is an unnatural activity. And what he says is, is from, the, from birth, we're taught to be self-sufficient. We're taught to be self-reliant. And what prayer does is says to us, there is someone bigger and better and stronger and mightier, and they have the answers and we don't. So it's an unnatural activity. There's another book that I've read called, by Mark D. Roberts called No Holes Barred. And the subtitle is Wrestling with God in Prayer. Do you ever feel like you wrestle with God? You, you have one thing that you want, and God seems to want want always to have something different. Or Ravi Zacharias wrote a book called Cries of the Heart. And again, the subtitle, Bringing God Near When He Feels So Far. Have you ever felt like that in your prayers? Like you, you're praying and the Lord wasn't hearing or He's, he's so far and you, and you just don't know. And Ravi Zacharias, what a great Bible teacher he is. And, and he wrote that book. Philip Yancey wrote a book called Prayer. Subtitle, Does It Make Any Difference? These are, these are theologians, these are pastors, these are Bible teachers, and, and they're writing these prayers about struggle with prayer. Why would they do that? Because for most of us, there is a struggle with it. Why the dissatisfaction? Well, it goes way back, because you remember what happened when Jesus was walking with the disciples, and he prayed, and he went alone, and he got to, alone, and he prayed, and what did the disciples do? Very shortly after they came to be his disciples, they stopped him, they said, Lord, Teach us to witness. Is that what they said? Lord, teach us to give. No, they didn't say, Lord, teach us to do the miracles you... No, they didn't say that. What did they say? Lord, teach us to pray. 
And I think that there's this longing in our heart and there's a dissatisfaction and, and there wouldn't be this. And, and again, I pulled four. I, I, I actually had another 10 that I could have written down. People who are dissatisfied with their prayer life, people who know the Lord and love the Lord and, and yet they think that there's something missing in their communication with God. And I don't think that's what jo- the, the Lord wanted. And when he taught the disciples, he taught them very simply. And what he tells us about prayer is so simple that we we get it wrong and we miss the essence of prayer. God always links joy and prayer together. So if that's true, how come we're so unhappy about what we're doing in prayer? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 says, Be joyful always. And the next verse says, pray continually. Literally, pray without ceasing is what it says in the King James, but literally being constantly in a habit of prayer or in in a, a, a mode of prayer so you can pray at any moment. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What? To be joyful, to to be in prayer. And you say, Well, that's great, Pastor. I just don't know how to do it. Let me tell you where we're going today. We're going to spend about 10 or 11 weeks on this. We're going to spend all of January and, and February and the first week of March in this. We're going to spend some time looking at what it means to pray. But here's my greatest fear, is that we'll spend all this time looking at what it means to pray and we won't pray. So your assignment every week is to take what you have learned and try to put it into practice during the week because it does no good for us. We don't need another series of sermons on how to pray if we don't do it. Here's where we're going. The essence of prayer is not what you think it is. It's not to get what you want. The essence of prayer is to meet with God. The essence of prayer is in the midst of life when, when things are going right or things are going wrong, in the midst of life when you're, when you're going along on a day-to-day basis is to stop and ask for the Lord, not for an answer to prayer, not for help in a situation, not for a miracle to happen in your life. The essence of prayer is to stop and say, Lord, who are you? What are you wanting to do? Where are you? What do you want me to learn? To stop and know him more, just to connect, to know him more. Colossians chapter 1 gives us a a great insight. Paul is a great man of prayer. And if you remember, we just finished up Acts. Paul was in prison. That's where we left him. Well, that's where he wrote the book of Colossians. And Colossians chapter 1 verse 3 says, and and we're going to answer two questions today. The first one is, how well do I know the Lord? How well do I know the Lord? If we are to connect with him, if we're to know him, if prayer is to bring us into a better knowledge, then let's start with where we are. How well do I know the Lord? Verse 3, Colossians 1, 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So Paul is praying for this church. And we don't know that Paul ever went to Colossae. It's 100 miles east of Ephesus. Uh, we don't know that there's any record that he actually went there, but he's praying for them. And he wrote a letter to them. Look at verse 4. Why was he praying? Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. The gospel just means the good news, the good news about who Jesus Christ is, that he died on the cross for each one of us, that he is available to save us from what we have done to ourselves. Look at the next line. For all, for all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit 
and growing, just as as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So not only do they love others, but Epaphras tells tells Paul about the love that they have for Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to give you everything you ever wanted, to fill your pockets with money. Is that what he says? To do miracles in your midst, to rain down something amazing on you. To do No, what does he say? We have, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. How well do I know the Lord? You say, well, that, you know, you need to be careful here because God is this awesome God and you can't know him. In John 15, Jesus is speaking with the disciples. He's getting ready to leave and he says, I don't call you my servant, I call you my friend. A servant, a servant doesn't know what's going on, but as your, as your friend, I've told you everything that I know about the Father. How well do I know the Lord? I, I want you to ask yourself two questions. Number one, do I love him? Do I love him? You say, well, I, I trust him. I, I, I heard that. But do you love him? Paul pays them this huge compliment. He says, I've heard about your love for the saints. And then he also says, Epaphras has told me about how much you ha- love you have for the Lord. And he encourages them in chapter 3, starting in verse 1, to set their hearts on things above, to, to grow in that love, literally, to, to, to change your focus on from the here and now, this little box that is your life, to change your focus and to love him. Set your heart on things above. If you're a believer, isn't the, isn't the love of God an automatic? I mean, doesn't that just come? If you, if you believe in Jesus Christ, don't you love him enough? Well, you remember the story of Jesus with the disciples at the end of, uh, of the time after he's been raised from the dead in John chapter 21. The disciples go back out fishing. Peter has this great idea. Hey, guys, let's go back and, and fish again. And the Lord comes and he makes breakfast for them. He already has the fish. They didn't need to be fishing. When it comes, he says that he already has the fish cooked. He had biscuits and fish. Steve, you might want to think about that for the men's breakfast one time. Uh, but he has, a, has all this done, and he's done it over a campfire, and he de- invites them in. And then you remember what he says to Peter in John 21? Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And then look at those last three words, more than these. What, the campfire and the fish? What, the, the disciples, the buddies that he went out fishing with again, his, his former fishing partners that he had gotten back, and, and at least, it appears four or five of them at least went with him. Do you love me more than the disciples? Or, or, or maybe it's do you love me more than the whole fishing industry? Do you love me more? And you can fill in the blank, whatever it is. And the question comes back to us. Do we love him more than this, our little life? Whatever that is, our 401k, our, our work situation, our, our kids, our grandkids, our, our home, our, our boat, our, our, what is it that we love? The Lord says, do you love me more than these? How much do you love the Lord? And you say, well, pastor, okay, so maybe we can grow in our love. So if we're supposed to grow in our love, how are, how are we going to do that? 
How could we possibly know how to love God more? And when I hear questions like that, and I have people ask me questions, how can I love the Lord more? When people ask me questions like that, I'm, I'm kind of dumbfounded. It's kind of like somebody coming to you right now and saying, do you know how to lose weight? Does anybody here, has anybody here heard anything about losing weight since the first of the year? I, I get a, mic, a, a, a magazine, I know this is going to be shocking, it's called Bicycling. And what's the big title? Get Lean Now. How to Lose 10, 20, 30 Pounds or More. 114 proven strategies as compared to the unproven strategies you have. And then I go to the mailbox and get... Here is, let's change your life today. Save 50% on enrollment. You can sign up for this club. Or 2013, new year, new you. They have only skinny people on this that go to the gym. And you can, you can join the gym. Did you, have you turned on your TV in the last month? Have you seen all the ads? Do you know how to lose weight? And you say, Pastor, it's, just, it's ridiculous how much is out there. It's ridiculous for us not to know how to love God more. It's not a secret. John 17, 26, Jesus is having his prayer, what we call the high priestly prayer, and he prays this, I've made you, he's praying to the Father, I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. How do we love him more? By knowing him more. Almost 40 years ago now, 30-something years ago, and I won't say the actual year because I'll get the wrong one, but over 35 years ago, Kathy and I stood in a church in Kadoka, South Dakota, and I proclaimed my love for this woman that I knew everything about. I'm still learning. Still didn't get the right Christmas present. Came that close to getting the right one. What really worries me is when I go into a women's clothing store, and I know there's a store that Kathy likes, but when I go in and they say, oh, here's the guy, be sure and give him a gift receipt for everything, because it's all coming back. Do I, know her, do I know her more now, 30-something years later? Absolutely, but I'm still learning more about her, and the more to know her is to love her. God says, to know me is to love me. And how can you know him? Well, the foundation comes from reading through the Bible. I, I encouraged everybody to read through the Bible. And we did this four years ago, and, and some people did it then. But how many of you have read through the Bible this last year, and you got all the way through? Look at the hands. That's awesome. That's an amazing thing. Congratulations. I had people come to me and say, you know what, I'm... I'm 50-something, 60-something, 40-something years old, and this is the first time I've read all the way, purposefully read all the way through the Bible, and it really meant so much to me. I, I recognized things that I, had not, that I had not put together before. This is a foundation, but there's something else. There's another dimension, talking to the Lord in prayer. If you want to love the Lord more, talk to Him. Over the last 30-something years, my wife and I have had unbelievable conversations long ones short ones all times of day and night we've had conversations and the more we talk the more we get to know each other the lord says talk to me listen folks the greatest ful fulfillment in my prayer life has not been the list of miracles don't get me wrong i've seen god do some things that i can't even imagine but it's not the list of miracles that god has done the greatest fulfillment in my prayer life is the fact that as I've prayed to him, I've come to know him more and love him more. Number two, do I trust him? 
not only do I love him, but do I trust him? It comes back to the faith. He says, we've, we've heard about your faith in Jesus Christ. And you say, well, yeah, I, I got that. I, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, you know, this many years ago. And I trust God. And, and, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about on a day-to-day basis. Do you trust him today for the needs you have today? Colossae was bombarded with a group called the Gnostics. The Gnostics have become popular again because some of the Gnostic writings have, have been unearthed just recently. They were written many of the times. Uh, some of them were written just a few years after Christ, but many of them were written four or 500 years after Christ. And the Gnostics claimed that Jesus couldn't be God because God and material things never came together. And, and because of that, even though we have this spark of divinity, we need to throw off anything material so that at one point we can become spiritually pure. We can be spiritually perfect. And Paul is writing to to combat this as he's in Rome toward the end of his life, some 30-something years after Jesus lived and died. And what does he write? He says, I pray constantly that you you may have the, instead of gnosis, that's the Greek word for knowledge, but the epignosis. Epignosis is the Greek word for a fuller knowledge. A more complete knowledge, a, a knowledge, a deeper knowledge, a broader knowledge of, of who God is, how he works in our life. A knowledge that encourages us to change the way we live. A knowledge that is so pervading that we can't get away from it. You see, there's knowing and then there's knowing. Has anybody here ever met a famous person, a movie star? You ever met a famous movie star? Okay, A famous politician? Well, that'd be infamous, but that, that's okay. I, I got that. Okay. Uh, when I was a teenager, I met Harry Truman one time. I spent two, two minutes in an elevator with him. Scared me to death. Secret Service came on. I was the elevator operator at the Kansas City Public Library. I rode from the first floor to the fourth floor, which was his whole library at that time, or, or part of his library as they were still completing the, the Truman Library. And I rode up the elevator with, with Harry Truman. I mean, I know him, every detail of him. Spent two minutes with him. And I trust him. Well, the problem is, is I grew up in Kansas City, and so I'd heard about the Pendergast regime and how he came to power, and I heard about some of the crooked deals that went on, and so when he got on the elevator, I just kind of held on to my wallet. And, and I understand pro- probably a lot of that was from my, my, my parents and what they told me about Harry Truman and what I learned in school and what I learned from being around, but I didn't really know the man well enough to trust him. The Lord says, I don't want you to spend two minutes with me. I don't want you to spend just a little time with me. I want you to know me so you trust me on a day-to-day basis. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. The, the, the words be still, if, if you go to the Latin that we get the, the words be still from, the Latin word is vacate, is the same word for vacate, to, to, to come away from. It's literally the word we get vacation. Take a vacation and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Take a vacation and let God take control. Do you trust him? Prayer gives us a vacation from the worry. Prayer gives us a vacation from doing everything in our own power. Prayer gets us to the point where we begin to depend on him on a daily basis. To trust him. Do I know God enough to trust him to take control of my life? 
Every time Kathy and I leave, we have two dogs, and, and we have this dilemma. What are we going to do with the dogs? And we have a couple of people who have house set. We have no problem because we know that Cindy or one of the others who is house set for us, they're going to come in, and the, the dogs will be almost as spoiled as when we're there. We know that we can trust them, but we had to get to know these people a little bit before we could trust them to make sure that it was okay to leave our dogs. They're dogs, you understand, not children. Well, kind of, Bo, He's, he looks a lot. But do I know someone well, enough, someone well enough to trust them with something that I care about? Do you know God well enough to trust your spouse with them? Your child with them? Your grandchild with them? Job 42.2, Job has argued with God because everything's stripped away from him, his family, his fortune, his, his friends, everything's gone. And at the end of the time, he keeps saying, if I could only stand before God and argue my case. And in Job 42, 2, he says, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. At the end of it, God never tells him why his family's gone, never tells him why his fortune's gone, never tells him what happens to his fame and, and his notoriety and, and his abilities and, and the people who loved him. And God never tells him that. He just comes and reveals himself. And when God reveals himself, Job says, that's enough. I don't need to know anymore. It's your plan, and it's, and it's perfect for me. Do I trust him? Job, by the way, wrote one of the earliest books. I think it was before the, about the time of Abraham, before the Exodus with the ten, uh, the, the, the ten penalties that came on the Egyptians. When those plagues came, and, and it, it, before the... the crossing of the Red Sea when the Israel, two million Israelites went through and the Egyptians drowned. Before the crossing of the, of the Jordan River when, when the, the, the priests came in and, and it was stopped up in the middle of flood stage. It came before Jericho fell down after they walked around for seven days. It came before Samson, this, this guy that looked like Woody Allen, could carry the city gates up to the hill and kill 600 Philistines. It came before David and, and this little shepherd boy expanding the territory and becoming uh, unbelievably wealthy in Israel. It came before Jesus stilled the storms. It came before he healed the sick and raised the dead. It came all before that. And Job says, I know you can do all things. I trust you. My question still remains, how well do I know the Lord? Do I love him? Do I trust him? And if you have any doubt about that, and maybe you see now that maybe you could grow in those areas a little bit, then the rest of this answers what you should do about it. How well do I connect with the Lord? Look back at Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. And we pray this, why? In order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and you may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Now look at verse 13. For he has rescued us. Did you know you needed rescuing? Do we realize that we, you know, we think we're doing God a favor when we join the team. 
We think maybe we have some skills that we can add to it. And the Lord says, no, do you understand? He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption. We've been bought back out of a slave market. He's redeemed us. He's bought us back the forgiveness of sins. How well do I connect with this God, with this Lord? Number one, am I consistent? Am I consistent? Bill Hybels says this, there are many Christians who know prayer is theoretically significant, yet practice it almost not at all. I love this. There was a website. website put out a poll, and it was just for Christians. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if, you, if you've applied the blood of the cross to your life, if you've come into a relationship with him, then you can take this survey. And they took the survey, and the number one question is, how often do you pray? And 90% of the people who came to that web poll, 90% of them said that they prayed every day. The second question, you couldn't go back and change the first one once you went to the second question. The second question is, how many of you have prayed in the last 24 hours? 3.4% said they had. 90% said they prayed every day, but only 3.4% really had. How do we have the endurance and the patience Paul talks about? He says, I pray that you'll have this endurance and, and you're going to make it through the tough times. I pray that you're going to have the patience when, when these things roll against you and you feel like, I can't push back. This is too much. I can't go on with life. How are you going to do that? By praying every now and then? What's our pattern? I told you before, I, I made the statement up here that I'm going to lose 45 pounds before the end of the summer, before the end of August. I plotted it out. That's actually a very, very aggressive thing. But I've lost 10% of it already in the last week. And, and you know how I did that? I just ate the way I always had. I ate the way I did during the holidays. We had desserts at, at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. No, I didn't do that. You, the truth I can barely raise my arms above my head today. I did a, 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 one of these 90-day workouts. It made me cry. I mean, literally, it, it hurt so bad. And, and I changed my, my eating habits, and I changed my exercise habits, and I changed my focus, and I decided I was going to do something different. And you say, well, Pastor, that's just you because you're weird. Really? The gyms are jammed right now. If you got one of these free memberships, you know why they do that in January? Because they know people won't cut it off because they're embarrassed. You can't get in a gym right now, but come February, there's plenty of room for everybody. Because we're not consistent. Luke 18.1, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and he says he told a parable to show them they should always pray and never give up. They should always pray and never give up. The pattern will teach us some amazing things about the Lord. I love in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 20. And, and if you get some time this afternoon, go to 2 Chronicles. I'd love to read the whole chapter because it has some great questions. But Jehoshaphat is there, and, and these armies band together, and they come against Judah, against the southern kingdom. And, and Jehoshaphat realizes that there's no way to defeat this army. He realizes there's nothing he can do. He can muster all of the men. He can possibly put a sword in their hand, a, a bow and arrow in their, in their hands. He can get everybody can, he can to ride a horse, and it's not going to be enough. And so what does he do? He prays. Look at what it says, 2 Chronicles 23 and 4. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. 
They didn't do it just one day. It took days for this. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him, and they, and they all rushed in, and they began to pray. And there was this huge fast, but it wasn't just in the emergency. Jehoshaphat has this pattern of prayer. And as he prays, there's a great prayer there of Jehoshaphat. And he says, are you not the Lord? And then he lists off the things that God has done. Did you not say? And then he lists off the things that God has promised them. And then the third question he asks in this prayer, will you not keep your word? Will you not keep this pattern that we have seen in your life? And what Jehoshaphat is pointing out is that God is consistent when we consistently come and pray. Second question we can ask ourselves if we connect well with the Lord is, am I honest? Am I honest? God knew we needed to be strengthened with all power. There's, there's a couple words for power in, in Greek. Uh, one of them is dunamos. It's the word that we get dynamite from. It's an explosive power. It takes out a, 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 a single unit or it's, it's done in one time. But there's also a kratos. Kratos is, is a longer term power. It's, it's the power of the sun. It's the power that, that doesn't just have one event where it explodes something, but it's this continuing dynamo. It's, it's something that powers. It's, it's a power plant. And he says, I pray that you'll have this power plant. Do we admit that we need to be having some power, that we need to be rescued? Do we admit that we have some problems? Do we admit that, that, that we mess things up, that we complicate things? Listen, we've complicated things from the very beginning, haven't we? Didn't Adam and Eve complicate them? You know, the Lord says, don't just, just don't eat from the, these two trees, and this one especially don't eat. And what did they immediately say? Boy, that looks good. That's a great-looking fruit. We don't know if it's an apple tree, but we know it was a tree that God said, you can have every other tree in the garden, just this one. Don't eat from this one. They complicated things. I, I love this. Uh, Wired Magazine. If you know anything about Wired Magazine, Wired is, Magazine is for the innovators. It's the electronic stuff. It's for the guys who are cutting edge. Before we knew what MP3 was, they were already on to MP5 or 6. I mean, these guys, they love their toys, their gadgets, and they got five of their most innovative writers together, and they put them in a room this year, and they said, we want the five best toys ever made, you know, with no, no, other, no other things, just the five best toys that have ever been made. That's all we want to know. And they put these five innovative guys. Guess what they came up with? Here's their list. Number one, a stick. Number two, a cardboard box. Number three, a roll of string. Number four, a cardboard tube. Because you. And number five, dirt. And they said, You innovative, creative guys, are you kidding me? This is all you could come up with? And they said, Oh, you don't get it. If we're honest, we need to keep it simple. And if we're honest, we need to keep things simple with the Lord. Adam and Eve sinned. And what did they do? When the Lord came to talk with them, to connect with them, what did they do? They hid. They made these, their own clothes out of fig leaves. I think some of the fashion designers are going back to that concept. But they made their own clothes with fig leaves, and they hid from God. And you say, how stupid is that? Really? 
When's the last time in prayer you really opened up to with the Lord and you told him all about those little secret places in your life that you try to hide behind because you've stuck some fig leaf somewhere because you don't want to let him know about what's really in your heart and in your life? Are you honest? Jesus is talking to them. In Luke chapter 18, 13, he tells the story of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. It says, the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy to, on me, a sinner. Are we honest in our prayer? Are we honest enough to say we need to be rescued? Are we honest enough to say that we have great needs? Are we honest enough to say that we don't even know God well enough? The joy that he talks about, the kara, comes from the grace, that's the, the charis, that's the, the Greek word. The kara comes from the charis. The joy comes from the grace. And when we understand the grace of God, that God loves me in spite of who I am. God doesn't overlook who I am. He loves me in spite of who I am. He just doesn't want me to stay the way I am. He wants to transform me so I look like his son. Am I honest? The third question is, am I serious? Paul is serious about his prayer, and he, and he calls us to be serious. And, and we don't get that. And we think, well, you know, you know Pastor, I'm serious, but you know, I, I need to do a lot of the work. I've had people say, and I've heard this so many times, well, if I could just get my life together, then I could come to the Lord. And, and No. Come to the Lord and let him get your life together. It's been said, I don't know who said it the first time, but when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. When we pray, we do everything we can in our own power. But when we pray, when we work, we do everything in our own power. But when we pray, God can do so much more than what we ever dreamed. Are we serious enough about our relationship to spend the time walking and talking with him, knowing him? Are we serious enough about God to want more of him. Was Jesus serious about prayer? There's a very strange verse in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. Look what it says. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. He was passionate. He was serious. Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, God in, in flesh, offered up prayers with tears and loud cries to the one who could save him from death. Did he? Well, he went through death, but he conquered death on the other side. He was not beaten by death. That's why Paul could write in 1 Corinthians 15, Oh, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Jesus Christ beat death. He offered up these prayers and petitions to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. He was serious about his prayer. How can we get more serious? Well, I'll, I'll close. Two illustrations. I'll close with this. You'll get more serious when you understand how big God is, how massive he is, how powerful he is, how wonderful he is, how magnificent he is, and I don't think that we get it. So let me give you an illustration here, okay? If, if our galaxy, what galaxy do we live in? Anybody know? Milky Way. If, we, if our galaxy Instead of the size it is, if it was the size of all of North America, that's Mexico and the U.S. and Canada, if our galaxy was that size, how big would our solar system be in comparison? It would be the size of a coffee cup. 
be the size of a coffee cup. And the earth would be a spot so small you couldn't see it. You could not even see it. If our galaxy was the size of North America and our solar system could fit in a coffee cup and our earth was that small, how big are we in comparison to God? And he spoke not only our galaxy, but a hundred billion galaxies like that into being with a word. How big is our God? Then why haven't we dared to do something that only God could do in our life? Why haven't we committed one thing? What am I daring to do that, that only through God's power could he accomplish? Why don't we ask God to do those things? Because we don't really believe he's that vast and all-knowing and all-powerful and able to do those things. Here's the second illustration. Because as vast and powerful as he is, he's also personal. I love the fact somebody gave me Colestone Creamery. Thank you so much for doing that. I think it was $50 at Colestone Creamery. No, it's probably just $25. I've already eaten the other $25. But, but anyway, I have this gift card from Colestone Creamery. And, and what if I went in there, say today, and, and I got my usual, I, I, I like the, uh, the cheesecake ice cream, and you put some blackberries in it, and then you put some more blackberries in it, and then you can put some of the graham crackers in it, and you just have cheesecake right on, in a cone. Then you can get one of those cones with chocolate around it, you know, that's, and you put it in there. I'm sure that's on my diet. And I go in there, and I get them to do that, and, you know, they take it, and they chop it all up, and as I'm talking to the girl, she says, wow, this is really, this looks good. I don't know that I've ever seen this combination before, man. Double blackberries, and you got it in there with this. This looks really good. And she puts it, she scrapes it together, and she puts it in the cone. And you know how they do? They kind of whip it around. They make it look kind of neat, and they put it in there. And what if she did this? Took a big lick and gave it to me. Does that bother you? I mean, she didn't look like she had any diseases. She didn't look like she had any, any foreign things going on. And I mean, her teeth looked clean and sparkly, and, and she was a nice young woman. Would that bother you? Would you want to lick it after somebody licked it? What if it's my daughter? What if it's my daughter? Totally different. Because I don't know how many times we've gone to some place with one of our kids and they said, ooh, dad, try this. And they hand me the cone and they don't care if I bite off of it and I don't care if, if they bite off of it or lick it. The Lord says prayer is different because you're my child. And you connect with me in a different way. And as vast and unfathomable as he is, he taught us to say, Abba, Daddy, Papa. My grandkids know all they have to do is get on the phone and say, Papa, and I'm better. Then it's just, Kathy just says, hold on to your wallet. <laughs> and the Lord says, today, connect with me. And the richest thing he'll give us is not things, but him. Let's pray. Oh, Father. I'm afraid I didn't do everything you wanted me to do today. I just wanted to describe what it's like to connect with you. To crawl up in your lap, to love you, to speak to you, to feel your embrace on those days when I need you so desperately. 
Father, I just want them to understand what it means to come to you anytime, night or day, to reveal the ugliest part that you already know and you love us anyhow and you want to correct, you want to cleanse. Father, we need you. We want to be a church that prays, but we'll never do it until we get how big you are and how personal you are. Father, we need you. There may be some today, Father, that, that don't really know who you are. They know about you, but they've never met you. Father, if so, may your Holy Spirit touch their heart. May they be miserable until they come to know you. Father, this is your time. We are your people. We love you. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name.